BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the latest edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Snowflake in Manitoba and Jumbo Cheese out on the West Coast. Today, we're discussing our post-free agency power rankings. Antonio Simmons eyeing a return to the CFL. The league rescheduling a preseason game. The BC's signing QB Vernon Adams Jr. to a long-term contract extension. (laughs) That is how it says it in our rundown. And a GoFundMe campaign that's been set up on behalf of former CFL fullback Mike Sellers. But first... I actually like that you wrote the BC's because longtime Toronto sports media personality Bob McCowan used to to say things like the managing generals and the Torontos and things like that. So it registered with me. I just thought that's what you were going for. That's not what I was going for. I think my keyboard just gave up for a second. That's okay. It works that way too. Tim White has finally, wait, oh my gosh. You're stealing my part of the rundown here. Come on now, Dunk. Sorry, buddy. Come on. This is amateur hour today. At, at least we got. <laughs> we got. We can't be stepping on each other's toes because oh we're the ones with hair. We got to stick together. <laughs> The hair crew. <laughs> Y'all just jealous. <laughs> it, it is a glorious head, Hodge. It is a glorious is head. Is it cold right Thank now? Thank you. Uh, it's a little chilly right now, but after uh, being embarrassed in the Three Down Nation chat by our own Joel Gasson, I've decided to, to rock the, the fully open bald look rather than covering it up with a toque. So uh, I'm going fully bald today. And uh, if anybody wants to ask why my head is so big, it's because it's full of of knowledge that's why the thing gets a little bigger gets a little bigger every time i learn something the thing that i don't get though is you went on national tv on ctv to talk about the super bowl with the bald dome and the other thing that's more befuddling to me is that you have great hair like i don't understand why you decided to go this route so early when there's so many people in this world that are hanging on to literally patches or strands of hair well, you can go out at the top of your game, right? Or you can fizzle out for a few years and then do the inevitable. And I'd probably lost between 10 and 20% of my hair. And my hair was no longer brown. It was mostly gray. And I was finding it harder and harder to kind of get it cut or styled how I liked it. 
So I thought I'll just wick it and we'll see what happens. Because <laughs> if if I don't like it, I got plenty of time to grow it back. Like again, I live in Manitoba. I'm wearing a toque for the next six weeks, two months, possibly. <laughs> you know, I got time to grow it back, and I found I really like it. It's it's super low maintenance. It's it's what I'm going to be eventually. And again, why I uh, try to hold on to something that's gone when you can just quit while you're ahead. So that's what I've done. Respect. You should be given retirement advice to some football players with that attitude. The most important question, though, is what does Mrs. Hodge think of it? Hey, she she likes me, not the hair. So it doesn't matter what it is my hair. Okay. She likes it. That's the way it should be. There you go. It is the way it should be. Find you someone who loves you like Mrs. Hodge, everyone. That's your lesson of the day. She, now, now she did, she's not Mrs. Hodge because she didn't take my last name. But I, I appreciate the sentiment, sentiment either way. Tim White has finally signed a contract for 2024, inking a two-year extension to remain with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The two-time CFL All-Star was initially asking for $300,000 when free agency opened. Dunk, is this the best result for both sides? It Definitely is for the Hamilton Tiger Cats because without Tim White there, it would have been a major hole in the receiving group and it would have been lacking a bona fide number one receiver. Not to say that, you know, some other teams in recent CFL history, the Montreal Alouettes being that team, haven't gone into a season without that kind of a guy and then developed one in Austin Mack who went to the NFL. But I think this would have been a major blow to the Tiger Cats if he was not back. Now, there's been a lot of talk about his $300,000 asking price, and I think he was right to go to the open market and see what he could get. But, fellas, I'm going to reserve my take on the contract numbers until we get them officially and see how this is doled out because I've heard varying things, you know, that's in the $250,000 range. But I want to see how they're actually put down on pen and paper before I make a comment on that. That said, for the Tiger Cats, this is absolutely massive. And you kind of got the sense, talking to people around the league, that there wasn't a real kind of a feel around White that he was going to leave Hamilton. But if a team would have gone and paid him his $300,000, you bet your bottom dollar that he would have left the Steel City. Well, and and at the end of the day, we had this conversation last week regarding whether or not he should still be on the $300,000 train, the answer then was no. And obviously it's come to this conclusion where no, he did not get his $300,000 in hindsight. I wonder if he would have gotten more had he come down from that price a little quicker, right? Because if someone was going to pay Tim white, $300,000, he would have known that before free agency even officially opened on the 13th, he would have known that during the negotiation window and then his agent could have used that potentially as leverage to try to get $300,000 out of another club and, and see if they can get a bidding war going. Obviously, I wasn't in the room when these negotiations were happening between Tim White's agent and teams around the league. And more recently, of course, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But I question if maybe coming down from this number quicker could have helped him make more money. Though, as Dunk pointed out, we don't have every single detail about this contract at this point. There have been some conflicting reports about the number out there, and we are going to have a conversation later in the show about the way in which some of these CFL contracts are structured because I see a lot of confusion from folks on social media about how that uh, is done. I do think this is a topic that's been underreported, and also the new CBA changed things 
a little bit, a document that was signed two years ago and really has not had a lot of traction publicly. We at 3Down have procured a copy of the CBA, but there's not been a lot of reporting done on it. So I don't blame fans for being a little bit confused regarding some of those details and intricacies. But when, get, when we get back to Tim White, I mean, the, this is something the Ticats had to do, even with Tim White. I don't think their receiving core is stellar. I like com- some of the depth Canadians they added, guys like Luther Hakanavanu. I really like Omar Bayless. Maybe he takes a step in year two. He got some starting time, I thought, showed some flashes after Duke Williams was put down last year. But I still question if this was the right way to handle it. From Tim White's side, I think he might have earned more money in the long term if he'd come down in price a little bit earlier. I just love the phrasing of that. After Duke Williams was was put down last year, like he's a horse with a broken leg or something. That's <laughs> Well, I think it was an ankle. But... Once, he, once he was out of the lineup is what you mean. Well, he, he, Duke Williams, as far as we know, is is still with us. So well, don't worry about yes, that. Guys. But my, the, the, the point I was making more is the Ticats shut him down last year this is true yes and 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 from their perspective it was essential to bring tim white back because as you mentioned there's just not a whole lot of established particularly american products in that receiving core to leon bayless i'm a fan of his as well i think justin mcgriff before he got hurt in training camp showed some flashes that's a big body but really it was tim white and it was Terry Godwin Jr. And if they didn't have White coming back, that was going to be a real problem for them. Now, we're going to get into our discussion about the Ticats a little bit more later when we talk about the league as a whole and our power rankings and whether or not Tim White actually moves the needle there. But they needed to at least maintain the status quo in that receiving core. They couldn't make it worse and right now by bringing Tim White back they have one of the top receivers in the league at least in that lineup a guy who can get it done consistently for them at a price that is reasonable for me that's a big win for Hamilton Terry Godwin I think does still have some untapped upside left and of course they did re-sign him but you know I thought and this is still to be determined because there's some free agents out on the market obviously that the Tiger Cats might go get a veteran receiver to add to this core unless they feel really confident about some of the guys they already had in house. Hodge mentioned a couple of those players. I think Omar Bayless is certainly one of those intriguing options, but you have Lucky Whitehead who's sitting out on the street that, you know, I know he's got to stay healthy, but is a guy that can add that speed, take the top off a defense kind of an element into a potential receiving group like the Tiger Cats. So there's still some intriguing names out there on the open market, but Tim White absolutely had to get done. And I look at it this way. Let's say Tim White went to an East Division rival, okay? Pick any of the teams you want, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, whatever. The Tiger Cats going into the season with a lot of questions surrounding Bo Levi Mitchell and Scott Milanovic has gone on the record as saying it's his starting job to lose at quarterback with Taylor Powell, young up-and-comer behind him there. With a receiving group that's underwhelming, certainly there's the opportunity like the Alouette showed last year that you can develop a guy, but I think it would have really strengthened another team in the East if that was to happen in this hypothetical scenario, and it would have dealt another blow to the Tiger Cats. So it was something that Ed Hervey and that front office absolutely had to get done. 
one thing I will add before we move on is Dunk mentioned Lucky Whitehead, who's still out there. I'm interested in Cameron Phillips. This is a guy who I think really flew under the radar with the Toronto Argonauts the last couple of seasons. He's more of a possession guy, a little bit less of a take-the-top-off-the-defense kind of guy, but a player who I think would have had a lot more production if he wasn't in such a deep kind of cast of receivers with the boatmen. So he's somebody who's still out there. Those two receivers are by far and away my two top pending free agent receivers right now. We're at the point, at least given that we're now entering the fourth week of February, it might be better for some of these guys to wait till training camp and see if an injury happens. Cause if injuries do inevitably happen, their leverage will go up right now. They're, they really don't have any leverage in negotiations, but to me, Cameron Phillips and lucky Whitehead, two guys who should be under contract in 2024 definitely some gas left in the tank and shouldn't be put down right jc <laughs> no not at all the bc lions have signed franchise quarterback Vernon adams jr to a contract extension through 2026 the deal includes a two hundred thousand dollar signing bonus with three hundred ninety five thousand dollars in hard money in 2024 five hundred thousand dollars in hard money in 2025 and five hundred five thousand dollars in hard money in 2026 with half of his base salary guaranteed in that final year. Is this a smart move for the BCs? <laughs> well, we all know that at times I've had my differences of opinion with VA, but last year I was the one pounding the table for him, and I think he's proven that particularly in that situation in BC, he can be an elite CFL quarterback. And when you have one of those extending them is never a bad idea. However, the interesting thing to me about this deal is what it says about the Lions' long-term plans or what they feel about the long-term plans of Nathan Rourke. Because I know there's still a lot of people out there who are holding out hope that Nathan Rourke will come back to the CFL in a year or two years. I don't think it's happening next year. I don't think it's happening the year after that. I could potentially see it in 2026 and that's when the bc lions have guaranteed half of vernon adams jr's salary to me if they thought that there was a possibility of rourke coming back you don't make this a three-year deal and you don't guarantee half the salary in that final year because you're giving yourself some wiggle room to try and lure rourke back to bc with this the way this contract is structured if rourke was to hit the open market in the next two years or in that third year and want to come back, A, the BC Lions would have to back up the Brinks truck with every other team in the league where the bidding would undoubtedly put Rourke in the $700,000 range in my mind, but they wouldn't be able to afford that because they'd have to eat $250,000 in dead money if they were to get rid of Vernon Adams Jr. That's locked in. That's guaranteed. There's nothing they can do about that now at this stage. So what this indicates to me is the BC Lions are saying either they don't think Rourke's coming back to the CFL at all, or if he does, we are comfortable sticking with VA because we believe he can be an elite franchise quarterback, even in a league that has Nathan Rourke in it. I think there's a lot of people around Canadian football that hope that Nathan Rourke has a long NFL career and ideally becomes a starter south of the border. But there is no doubt that this could be detrimental for BC if Rourke ever comes back up. And we're talking about a guy that's 31 years old, looks like he's in the prime of his career in Vernon Adams Jr. 
led the CFL in passing yards last season, over 4,700, led the CFL in 300-yard games with 10, was close to being up there in terms of leading the CFL in passing touchdowns, had a great year overall, had over 400 yards to set a BC Lions franchise record in a single playoff game in that West semifinal win over Calgary, but he would not be better than the chance to get Nathan Rourke. So I think this speaks to a little bit of the Lions confidence of where Rourke is in his NFL journey. And I think it's just beginning and Rourke and his camp believe that as well. Now there's a decision to be made there from the new England Patriots because he is an exclusive rights free agent. I think there'll be some, more clarity on that after the NFL combine is over when everybody gathers in the middle of the United States in Indianapolis there. But it definitely does show that the Lions are committed to Vernon Adams Jr., who was a guy that at one point in time in 2018 was the number four quarterback on the Hamilton Tiger Cats depth chart, asked to play receiver. And then there was even a trade that took place there when June Jones was with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and the head coach, he kind of let it slip. I remember I was in that media availability, and it was great. Full credit to Mr. Jones, but there were some talented quarterbacks on that roster. Not one of them, I think you could argue, was Johnny Manziel because of the way he flamed out in the CFL. But this is how far that Vernon Adams Jr. has come. He takes less in 2024 to allow the BC Lions to structure their roster to go after a home Grey Cup, and I think he deserves some credit for that. Yes, and I'm not surprised this conversation was had about Nathan Rourke, despite it being news about Vernon Adams Jr., because obviously Nathan Rourke fever has taken the country by, you know, by, by, the, by the, the, the strong, strong grip that came from his unbelievably sensational season in 2022. That being said, and it's, it's perfectly valid, by the way, um, I do think that we should mention how great of a season VA had. This past year, he he had over 4,000 yards for the first time in his career. He played all 18 games. He did take a little bit of time off here and there for, uh, uh, well, no, but, but he, okay, I think he dressed for a couple games, even though he was hurt, because he did have two starts that yeah. he sat out there for for Dane Evans. Injury. And he also sat out part of the Lions regular season finale, if I remember correctly. Sorry, I was thrown off, because CFL.ca has him dressing for 18 games, which is actually true, unlike many of the other stats that are still wrong all over the league's website. Um, but 18 games is correct because he did technically dress if they didn't play. So the point is, at almost 4,800 yards, this is a guy who would have thrown for 5,000 yards had he played the full season. He also had 31 touchdowns, 18 picks, ran for 324 yards at a touchdown. VA is not terribly big, right? He's a, he's a shy bit under six foot. He's listed at 200 pounds. I'd be surprised if he was actually 200 pounds. I don't think he's much under that. But the point is he doesn't have that prototypical size. And when you don't have that prototypical size, you start to worry about injuries. But VA, to his credit, has stayed healthy for almost all of his career. He did have a knee this past year. He did have an ankle in the West semifinal, uh, in the West final against Winnipeg. But the bottom line is he remained healthy. I think he does a good job of avoiding a lot of the big hits that he's supposed to take. And he just turned 31 this past month. So you've got VA locked up through his age 33 season. And at the end of the day, when you look at what Chad Kelly did with the Argos and signing a long-term extension, when you look at what Zach Kolaris has done in Winnipeg, signing a long-term extension, 
clearly the path has been set. If you are a top-tier quarterback in the CFL, and to me those are the three top-tier quarterbacks in the CFL right now, if you have one, you have to do everything in your power to retain them and invest in them. So, yes, it's a lot of money. We've also seen teams, by the way, make mistakes with this money previously, right? Taylor Cornelius got a bunch of guaranteed oh, money God. in 2024, got cut. Nate Bahar had guaranteed money in 24, got cut. Jake Mayer had guaranteed money in 2024. The Stampeders kept him around. If they could go back in time, I'm guessing the Stampeders probably wouldn't have given that guaranteed money to Jake Mayer. So it's easy to put out this money when the time's good, but I also don't think that the BC Lions should have hesitated to do this. I like this move because, again, the market is the market. There's only three top quarterbacks. Two of them are locked up long-term. Now VA joins them. Yeah, and, and frankly, based on what happened last year, VA is right there in that conversation with Caleros and Kelly in terms of his performance last season. And he's going to make, you know, still in that top-tier quarterback market, but less than both of those guys, right, who are in the $600,000 range. VA tops out at five oh five in hard money. I think that's a good deal for the BC Lions in terms of that. It gives them a little bit more wiggle room. This season, as Dunk, you mentioned, he's taking a little bit less to help the Lions load up. This season, to me, will be a big moment for VA because we had a lot of questions for him going into last year that he answered with flying colors. You know, what would he look like after having a full off season in Maximic's offense? He looked fantastic. How would he look with all those weapons around him? He looked lights out the best he's been in his career, but now he's going to go into next season. And while there's still lots of weapons for the lions, they're going to have less than they did last year. I think that's safe to say because They've got Alexander Hollins, but they had to let go of Dominic Grimes for cap reasons. And Keon Hatcher, who is really an engine that made that offense run last year, is going to miss most of next season because of the Achilles injury he suffered in the playoffs. So right now you've got Hollins, you've got Javon Katoy, and you've got Justin McInnes in terms of you are uh, – your your known commodities there at receiver, and you're not going to have that triple all star threat that you did at one point last season, where you had you know or four all star threat really in Hollins, Hatcher, Rhymes, and Whitehead all in that same offense. That's not what this team is going to look like next year. Now, could they still be really good? Yes. Could some of the unknown receivers take a real step forward? Guys like Travis Fulham coming from the NFL, who I think has huge potential as a CFL player. Could he be that guy? Absolutely. But heading into this season, you're a lot less certain about that BC Lions offense than you were in the past. Can VA keep that same production in those circumstances, I believe he can, but it's going to be a major question going into the season to make sure he proves that he's worth all this money. And you wonder, you mentioned Lucky Whitehead there being part of the receiving group last year, JC, if as the market plays out here, perhaps Whitehead goes back to the BC Lions on a deal where he doesn't make quite as much as he's used to there on the West Coast. He knows the offense obviously very well, and he's got that rapport with Vernon Adams Jr., that could potentially be an intriguing situation for both sides. So I think something to monitor, it also should be noted here that Vernon Adams Jr. takes less specifically in 2024 
to help William Stanback come over there as much as JC doesn't think running backs matter. It's clear based on the contract that Stanback got over a hundred thousand dollars that the lions knew or understood in some form or fashion that they wanted to get better and more proven at the running back position. And because of what VA took on his contract that made it partially possible for Stanback to go to the West coast. Three Down Nation released post-free agency power rankings on Monday with Toronto and Winnipeg reclaiming the top two spots. But it seemed like it was a little bit controversial, fellas, when they got released. The biggest risers were the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, powered by Corey Mace and the Ottawa Red Blacks with a new shiny quarterback in Drew Brown in the nation's capital, both moving up three spots while the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Edmonton Elks each fell Three spots. We're talking paper champions here, obviously, fellas. But do you think the contributors, including the three of us, got these rankings right? Well, at this time last year, Montreal was at the bottom of the power rankings. So I want to start by congratulating the Edmonton Elks on winning the 2024 Grey Cup. <laughs> Wasn't it because the they're Cats currently the bottom? No, the, nope. the Elks were the at the bottom of our rankings. The Ticats were eight. Oh, so the I Ticats, them at the bottom of mine. Everybody else is wrong. The Ticats are going to be in the game. It'll be Edmonton-Hamilton and Edmonton coming out Edmonton coming out victorious. Uh, I, I thought the rankings were good. And I know that some people are salty about the Alouettes being third. But unless they have another Austin Mack who's going to pop up and dominate in that receiving core, I have serious concerns about who will be catching passes for Cody Fajardo this season. Austin Mack took so much attention away from Montreal's other receivers this past season that it opened up all kinds of opportunities for guys like Tyler Sneed and Kayon Julian Grant. Not to say they're not good receivers, but obviously everybody will benefit when there's one target drawing all kinds of coverage and attention away. The Alouettes seem to be replacing... Austin Mack with Tevin Jones, who all due respect to Tevin Jones, who had a very nice season with the Riders this past year. He's not scaring anybody like Austin Mack. He is not a bona fide number one receiver in the CFL. To me, he's more like an option number three. So I think it's appropriate that the Alouettes fell, though I still think they're a very good team, as evidenced by the fact that they're still in the top three. I think Toronto at one is interesting because it is easy to focus on everybody who left right we even made fun of them on our twitter account on three down (laughs) posting a meme of will smith uh standing in an empty room by himself because yeah they lost aj letting the darius pickett jamal peters etc but when you look at the talent they've added right guys like jake serezna tunde adelike kadeem carey i think they've kind of reloaded in a way. And obviously they've kept Chad Kelly, which is the most important thing. So to me, these, these and rankings the whole offensive line, bro, the whole offensive line and their offensive line is locked up long-term. That is a super, super good offensive line that will make life easy for the skill position players in Toronto. Uh, personally, I think that maybe the Calgary Stampeders should be a spot lower. Maybe Ottawa at six should be a spot lower. Um, just given that I am high on Drew, uh, or pardon me, I am a little higher on Hamilton and Ottawa than I am on Calgary. I think that Calgary needed to take home run swings this off season and they're still bunting for singles. I've not been, <laughs> not been impressed at all with what Cowtown has done. Um, but other than that, I think our rankings were pretty much bang on, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. For me, it's just little nitpicky things. 
right? Like, I, th- I think we're pretty close to what it is. I think you can make an argument that Toronto shouldn't be the top. But like you mentioned, Hodge, you look at their depth chart right now, and there's not a whole lot of holes. There's not a whole lot of question marks because even though they lost a lot of good players, they added some good players, and they had better depth than I think any other team in the league last year in terms of guys that were just sitting around who are starting caliber players anywhere else in the league to the point where they were resting all-stars in games that mattered just to get some these guys on the field to make it worth their while to stick around. Those guys are going to get opportunities and I think will rise to the occasion. So Toronto at one makes a lot of sense to me. I think BC is slightly high at four right now just because of some of the question marks that we just talked about in terms of their receiving core, but also, you know, getting William Stanback to improve your running game is great. It doesn't mean Jack, if you don't improve your offensive line as well right now. And that offensive line did not perform very well last year. I still think has a gaping hole at left guard and they haven't done anything to address it currently whether that comes a little bit later with some players that are still on the market at value deals or whether that comes through the draft that needs to happen before i'm confident in bc and then there is going to be a drop off on defense because guess what matthew betts is not coming back and that's 18 sacks and i forget the exact number but something like 86 pressures that you're going to have to replace and as much as i like pete robertson as a player and you know daniel joseph finally coming in as a prospect those guys are not going to be able to account for those numbers right there is going to have to be some attrition in that defensive line and they're going to get less pressure on the quarterback which is going to mean you know, more opportunities for opponents to get the ball downfield and test that secondary. I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back next year. And Saskatchewan is actually going to leapfrog them in that West division. I think BC is still a playoff team, but to me, Saskatchewan with the moves that they've made and how much I like Corey Mason, his approach has moved into that number two spot behind Winnipeg as it stands right now. Then when you go down the list, the one I thought we nailed was the Hamilton Tiger Cats because we ask our con- our contributors both ways. This was the day before Tim White signed. Okay, rank it without Tim White and rank it with Tim White. Where does Hamilton fall for you? And they basically all to a man said exactly the same spot. I do not believe in Bo Levi Mitchell As a quarterback right now, I don't think having Tim White will put them up from the eighth spot, and I agree. Right now, that team has not done enough to improve, and when you have that level of uncertainty at the quarterback position, which is crazy to think that Bo Levi Mitchell equates to uncertainty, but that's where we are at this stage in his career, then you cannot be a legitimate contender in the CFL, and that's where the Ticats are right now. I do think there's a chance that the Ticats make us look silly for these post-free agency rankings. If Bolivar Mitchell can have an Anthony Calvillo like Renaissance with Scott Milanovic, then we'll look real silly. The chances of that happening are probably not as good as Mitchell having a poor season and the Ticats being on the outside of the playoffs. But the offensive line is solid. They do have some younger players with upside in terms of playmakers. They went out and proved the defense. Jamal Peters 
at the cornerback spot on the boundary side and especially the defensive line getting Brandon Barlow and Dwayne Hendricks, especially Hendricks, I think can be a real difference maker. maker excuse me. Some people think, seem to think that Barlow has a real polarizing difference in how they view him from an evaluation standpoint. They felt like he was great as a rotational guy, and that's part of the reason why he had so many sacks last year. But how is he going to do down in and down out? And I think some of that might be proven by Corey Mace not going out and spending somewhat top of the market money to get Barlow to go to Saskatchewan. Like a lot of people thought was going to happen. I thought where we had the rough riders was pretty solid overall. When you consider the additions that they made, especially Jeremy O'Day for a second straight year going out and yet again, investing in that offensive line with what was available on the open market, specifically getting Jermarcus Hardrick there and even adding Ryan Sevier who can push challenge, if not start over, Logan Furland on the interior there. I felt like the Riders have really helped out their depth. But you look at the top of the rankings. The Argonauts have easily the best offensive line in the league. Checkbox. They have arguably the most amount of Canadians who have starting caliber potential and great depth from a national perspective. That roster, as you guys mentioned, is very deep. And they have Chad Kelly, who's at least in the conversation as the best quarterback in the league right now, I still think it's Zach Caleros. The reason for me why Winnipeg came in at number two is because some of that uncertainty along the offensive line, especially with Hardrick leaving, and the fact that it still seems like at many positions, I'll give you an example, Brandon Alexander at safety, that they're still trying to cling on to some of these guys. Now, I understand there has been some turnover there too, and Brady Oliveira's in the prime of his career, so is Dalton Schoen. Drew Tarski is solid for what he is there. Some of the interior offensive linemen I still think can play at a high level. We'll see what Stanley Bryant is. But just guys like that, Alexander, I mean, I was kind of surprised they didn't turn the page on him considering the liability that he is in coverage. He's fine as a safety overall, but even there, he's losing speed to help out over the top. So I still think until Winnipeg doesn't get to the Grey Cup that they're probably the favorites to come out of the West Division. But I think the Rough Riders are going to make that more difficult than it was a year ago for sure and in the past couple of years. And even though BC has lost some talent there, I think Jordan Maximic has shown that his offense has a way of putting up points. So there's going to be a real challenge there. The question marks for me are in Calgary and Edmonton. Yes, the Elks went out and got McLeod Bethel Thompson but I don't know exactly how much that improves them at the quarterback position. And they had to give him a decent chunk of change around $500,000 to do that. So that takes away from keeping a guy like a Jake's resident. Now I know that was a one for one trade to get Curly Gittins jr. There a familiar target for Macbeth, but still I have such an issue looking at that defense and thinking that it could be really good. I think Chris Jones needs to reassert himself in terms of this viewpoint of a lot of people that are fans and even people around the league viewing him as a defensive guru, that defense is going to have to develop some sacks from within, from some of these younger players on the roster. Can they do it? Yes, but there's major question marks there. And in Calgary, I really like what they've done on the defensive side of the football. I think that unit can be good under Brent Monson, but on offense, other than Reggie Begleton, there's not guys that really scare me there, and Jake Mayer still needs to prove it. So I think that's why, rightfully so, those two teams are closer to the bottom of our rankings. 
I think that JC made a great point about BC's defensive line. I will also say I was surprised that unlike the Riders, the Lions did nothing to address their their offensive line, especially that depth. They brought back David Neville at left guard, who I don't think is very good. I certainly don't think he's a starter. There's still guys like Sean Jamieson, Jeff Gray, who are available. I thought that BC would be in on Skeevier for sure. They obviously didn't pull the trigger there. And when it comes to a team like the Calgary Stampeders, I do think that defensively, they're rock solid. I think Brett Monson is an excellent coordinator in this league. That's part of the reason I also got the Lions high is because I'm a big believer in Jordan Maximic. I think he is the best passing offensive game planner in the CFL. But I would also echo Justin's sentiments regarding the Edmonton Elks. I think that the Edmonton Elks are banking on a lot of their young players taking a, a next step in 2024. But like JC highlighted last week, defensively that team has a lot of question marks offensively I think they're ready to take that next step though obviously from a coaching standpoint they're gonna have to hope that Jarius Jackson with a full training camp (laughs) to get that offense right will need to do a good job but is their offensive line any better Hodge to be honest like Trey Ford ran around and made a bunch of plays and now you have McLeod Bethel Thompson who doesn't move that's one area I feel like we haven't talked about with the Elks that is a very good point. There is going to be increased pressure on that offensive line to protect, and they are running back the same offensive line at literally every spot as they were a season ago. They gave Brett Boyko a lot of money, a guy who was on the street up until basically camp or even after training camp this past season, and then came in and beat out Josiah St. John for that starting spot at right tackle. I think they do lend themselves well to a quick passing game. I do think that McLeod Bethel Thompson is excels in making quick decisions. I also think they run the ball really well. Kevin Brown, I still think, is an underrated player in this league. Between the tackles, I think he's right up there with A.J. Olette and Brady Oliveira as the best running backs in the CFL right now. But to me, it's pretty clear between Javon Leak and Boris Beatty that Edmondson literally just went, okay, clearly the only problem with our roster is special teams. And if we get that right, we'll be great. And the answer is yes, good on you for fixing your special teams. They were terrible in 2023, but your offense and defense were not good enough as well, which is why you guys went four and 14 for a second consecutive season. So to me, that is why they are at the bottom. I would put them at nine. I would put Calgary eight. Um, But again, that's a little bit nitpicky. I think right now we generally have them right. Though, as said off the top, Edmondson will apparently win the great cup this year. That is how that's how the pattern works. You know, I, I said that last year when we were making long shot begging odds and didn't age well, Hodge. So <laughs> we'll make sure to to cut this little segment together and save it for uh, for a day in November. That's true. We received a number of questions during free agency regarding the way in which CFL contracts are structured. Some reports talk about hard money, others talk about incentives or playtime, and now a number of deals include marketing money or promo, promotional money, which is new under the current CBA. Can you give us a breakdown of how that works, specifically the marketing money? It's pretty simple. If you understand the salary cap and now there's a marketing cap. So I think that makes it very easy to understand that marketing cap in 2023 was $60,000. I shouldn't say cap because it's actually just a floor. Excuse my language there. It's a floor. That's the minimum that you have to spend 
under the collective bargaining agreement in 2023. That number has jumped to 110,000 in 2024 for the years going forward. I think it's what, until 2028, that that number is there. And that's just the floor. So I'm a big fan of it because it's more money in the players' pockets, but still technically by the letter of the CBA, you have to go do non-football activities, marketing, community appearances, those kind of things to get the money. So now there's some talk from people around the league and players and agents about, well, can I get all of this money in just football money? Because technically it is extra work that you have to be putting in to get this marketing money on paper. Do I think that happens everywhere? Heck no. I think this is a way of getting the players more money, which is possible in the way that this is constructed. But as I think Hodge is going to get into here, this could potentially open up some competitive imbalances with the teams who are not as cash flush as some of the others. Because again, this marketing money is just a floor. You could go out and give hundreds of thousands of dollars if you wanted in marketing money to entice a player to come there. And they don't necessarily have to go out and do the things that are stipulated here. You could just give it to them, say they did those kinds of things and move on. So I think it's great for the players that they have a chance to get more money, even though it's in the form of marketing on paper, but it definitely is going to create a different type of CFL, especially behind the scenes when contracts are being negotiated moving forward. I will disagree with you here, Justin. I don't think the situation is simple. I don't think it's simple at all. I think this is confusing, and that is why there are a lot of fans asking questions. Now, getting back to JC's question, hard money is money that a player can collect as part of their contract. And and to me, the definition would be even if they're hurt. So their salary that's paid on a per-game basis, they get paid whether they're hurt or not. Their signing bonus, they keep whether they get hurt or not. Um, some things are more incentive based things like, Hey, if you throw for 5,000 yards this season, you get this bonus. If you catch 10 or more touchdown passes this season, you get this bonus. Play time is more referred to how long you're literally on the field. If you play for six games, you get this bonus. If you play for 12 games or more, you get this bonus. If you play all 18 games, you get this bonus. And it is not uncommon in player contracts to have something like 20 different things outside of just the salary in terms of different incentives, different bonuses, different offseason roster bonuses, reward and pass bonuses, signing bonuses, bonuses for yardage, bonuses for playtime, all those different things, which is why when people ask me, hey, Hodge, why doesn't 3Down Nation have its own CFL version of cap friendly where you can see oh, to the dollar gosh. how much every player is paid? The answer is that would take quite literally tens of thousands of lines to figure out and that is why we will never have one and that's why the media likes to take all of that information and package it as a hard money deal this is hard money with incentives to x which i think is a pretty good way of reporting it responsibly while also simplifying it somewhat for fans that said the marketing aspect sometimes called um you know, appearance money, um, what Justin was referring to a moment ago. It's officially, by the way, in the CBA called non-football related services money, non-football related services, which is essentially 
players doing public appearances or autograph signings or showing up at a business and, whoa, I'll be hanging out for the next two hours. Come by and check us out. Um, going to read in schools, going to coach amateur football. These are all things that players can do to earn non-football related services money. Teams have a salary cap to spend too. In 2024, that amount is $5,525,000. The non-football related services minimum is $110,000. But, and I've had this conversation with CFL GMs, there is no limit to that. As Justin said, and it's not that you can spend $200,000 or $500,000. I've asked GMs, point blank, if Lamar Jackson was a free agent tomorrow, could you theoretically sign him for a contract worth $100,000 or $100,000 against the salary cap and paid him $49.9 million as non-football related services money? And the answer was yes, that is allowed. Now, is that going to happen? No. But it's technically, by the letter of the law, allowed under the current CBA. Obviously, this is something that will have to be fixed in future CBAs. Yes, more money in players' pockets is good. Yes, more appearances and marketing is good. But, for example, Dalton Schoen's new contract with Winnipeg, he's making 230 That's not all hard money. He's making 195 against the salary cap and $35,000 in non-football-related services money, i.e. marketing money. Now, when you talk to some people around the league, they're going, hold on, for like a low-level roster player to go and read at a school, that's usually $200. So that means Dalton Schoen would have to do that 175 times in 2024. And by the way, we're talking about a guy who does not live in Winnipeg. He's not low-level. He'd have to go and do – he's not low-level, but even if an upper-level guy is 500 bucks, that is still 70 School appearances. Is Dalton shown during the season when he has to, you know, get healthy and prep for Friday night to catch two touchdown passes for Zach Kolaris? Is he going to be doing 70 community appearances? I think the answer is a big fat no. And though the CFL claims to be auditing this and claims that it's all above board, $35,000 in marketing money does give a team like Winnipeg a huge advantage when, of course, on the books, Dalton shown only cost them. 195. That's part of the way that a team like Winnipeg, Winnipeg's not the only team doing it, but that's part of the way a team like Winnipeg has been able to keep its core together. Not every player has marketing money in the deal. Some agents refuse to have marketing money because that's also not guaranteed. You're not guaranteed that all $35,000 if you're not doing the appearances. But this is a can of worms that I think needs to be talked about more. I'll have a column on this in the future. It does feel a little bit inside baseball. But I also think that fans deserve clarity regarding how players are paid and deserve to know why this could potentially create a competitive imbalance in the CFL. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea from the standpoint, and I know why it was included. And this is the CFLPA pushing for more money for the players. That's why it's a floor and not a cap. Right, They want to ensure that at least this amount of money is going to the players every year. And they're also pushing to get their membership and the players in front of fans more often because they believe that helps the marketing side of the CFL and improving the league's status across the country. And I think both of those things are valid. But it just feels currently like one of those things that needed to be hashed out more that needed to be structured and regimented well, why, though? and more, the players ma- are happy to get more, more meticulously put together. 
because of the uh, opportunity for abuse on both sides. Well, I mean, it's happened right? in the past, right? Now, People joked about Anthony Calvillo getting brown paper bags from the Montreal Alouettes. Like, but what, are, okay, isn't no, the whole like idea, new, okay? isn't the whole idea, though, for this all to become above board and better in time? Like, yes, there was shady stuff in the 90s. Yeah, and that's why there's that no That does not mean there. shady stuff in 2020 being okay. But the idea is let's not cap it, allow players to make more, and they'll do more appearances. And by your own admission, you're saying players are going to make more, and it's a joke. They're not actually going to do the appearances. So in other words, the fans lose, the players kind of win, but the teams lose. Yeah, they get more marketing, but there's also not competitive disadvantage. There's there's two sides to this, too, because you say the players kind of win, and they do, right? That's why they want it in here. But because it's not guaranteed, there is also not just the opportunity to abuse the cap and give way more in promotional money, but to back out of these deals. So you get Tim White to come back to your team and you give him a bunch of promotional money. Maybe he doesn't have a great season, right? He isn't doing all those promotional marketing appearances because you told him you were just going to pay him that anyway. And then he underperforms and you say, ah, you know, it's not really financially feasible for us to pay you all that money when you didn't reach our expectations as a player. So we're going to back out on that deal and you're not getting paid for that because technically you do have to make the appearances that you didn't make. And now that player who could have got more in hard money elsewhere, but chose to come to your team or stay with your team because of that is getting screwed out of that money, right? There is the opportunity to abuse the players in this as well. And quite frankly, I think the opportunity for abuse on that side is far greater than the abuse of the cap because every team's going to manipulate this to help them with the cap, right? It's going to be more consistent abuse across the board. But the scenario that Hodge floated out of, you know, 49.9 million or even anything remotely close to that, no team is going to attempt that, A, because these teams don't have a bunch of money sitting around that they can just spend willy-nilly, right? This has to come out of other parts of their budget. And B, if teams actually started giving out contracts with $200,000 worth of promotional money, the other teams would begin to riot and you actually have a problem where this would disappear. So they want this flexibility, so they need to be somewhat responsible with it, but they don't necessarily have that same obligation to the players. So until it's structured and regimented, there is opportunity for abuse on both sides of the equation here. And that's a really risky situation for anyone to be in, right? And and this is just a byproduct of us trying to get this CBA pushed through amidst all the strike talks. And, and at the end of the season, we all know that it wasn't signed for forever after that point. And a lot of the details were still being hashed out after there was an agreement in place. I think this is one of those things where they dropped the ball and we really don't have the details we need for it to be effectively implemented. I do agree that it does need to be looked at in more detail because the example you guys laid out with the players being promised this marketing money or it being in the contract, but then there is the chance there for them not to get that money is definitely something that's going to happen. And what it's also created, and you guys know this from reporting on contract numbers is the team will say, well, no X player really only got, let's say 
$200,000 in salary cap money. You can't report that they're getting this other money in salary because it's not guaranteed, which there actually is some credence to. I think that's part of the reason why there is an issue with where Tim White's contract has come out. And that's why I want to wait until it's official is because the Hamilton Tiger Cats in this example aren't going to admit to paying what might be a decent sized sum of marketing money. They want to point to his contract and say, Hey, on the salary cap, the football cap, as some people are referring to it as we actually got him at a value. But I think in some form or fashion in the reporting, the marketing money has to factor in. That said, I do agree with you guys that it needs to be followed through on. But if the CFL in its past has shown anything, it's that sometimes that doesn't happen at all or even as quickly as it should. So I think it would actually help for both sides to get on the same page with this and ensure if there's marketing money in the contract that that player should get that money because it's signed by both sides and he should be held to the terms of what he needs to do to get it. For the, anybody wondering why this is a new thing, because players have always done appearances and stuff. It's because under the new CBA, well, I should say that the other way previous to the new CBA in 2022, marketing money was simply counted against the cap. There was one cap. You could spend it however you wanted, as long as you didn't go over, or if you did, you might be penalized or might not be, as was the case with the Toronto Argonauts following the 2019 season. They've now split it up. So you have a marketing uh, a minimum, but no cap, and you have the regular salary cap. They're separate. To me, the solution here is pretty simple, is put it back into one category and then just raise the salary cap. If teams want to spend 35K or 50K. Like, by the way, part of the reason Chad Kelly's contract was restructured last month is because it was assigned in season. He had $100,000 in marketing money for the 2024 season. I'm not sure that was ever reported. $100,000. Even if he's getting paid $1,000 appearance, do we really believe Chad Kelly's doing 100 appearances in a year? He's going out every, He's going out two or three times a week? Like, what are we talking about? This is a guy who spends part of his offseason in New York City. And he's going to be driving up to do like that was crazy when that deal got signed. Now, again, that deal has since been restructured. So to me, the again, teams being more visible is a win. Players getting more money is a win. But separating these two things never made sense to me. Having it uncapped, I think, is unrealistic because it makes this really hard for the league to properly audit things. And it's making a, a situation that is very complicated uh, or that was already somewhat complicated, very complicated. And of course, again, for the reasons we discussed, introducing a competitive imbalance where teams can abuse these types of figures. To me, the, the solution is simple. Raise the cap, make it all one big giant thing. And the, and the, what, the, the salary cap is 5.25 this year. Make it six. Just make it six. And then pay for all these, pay for all the marketing money. And, and make it, yeah. So if players, and by the way, I appreciate what you're saying, Dunk, that players should get this because it's mutually agreed upon. What happens if the team gives a guy $20,000 in marketing money and the guy refuses to do any appearances? You don't think that's happened before that a team has said, Hey, we need you to come out to X and X school today. You're going to, it's, I love to read month. You're going to read a book for the kitties. And a guy's like, uh, heck no, I am not talking to kitties. I am not showing up. I'm not saying all players are like that, but surely that situation has happened. So to me, this is a mess. 
the CFL has to get it cleaned up. Hopefully they get it cleaned up before this deal expires. Because again, there's five more years of the CBA. Hopefully both sides can come together, amend this thing, fix this thing, because right now it is a problem for the league. Your point about putting it all on the salary cap is very valid in the sense that, you know, especially with the NFL, I'm not comparing the two leagues, but a salary cap gets pushed up incrementally and it shows the success of the league. So I think the salary cap was being announced as being pushed up every single year. And yes, it goes up, you know, incrementally within this current collective bargaining agreement. But if it was all under one cap and you were getting over that $6 million threshold and it was going up by more overall, that would make it at least appear as though the league is having sustained success and more of that sustained success, excuse me, is going to the players. Defensive lineman Antonio Simmons is eyeing a return to the CFL after seeing out in 2023 to focus on his mental health. Hodge, you did an interview with the 28-year-old. What can you tell us about his recovery? So this is a bit of a teaser for a column that will be out Thursday morning. Antonio Simmons played in the CFL from 2019 to 2022, primarily as a member of the Montreal Alouettes. Had a really promising season as a rookie with them, starting off the edge in 2019 bounced around a bit. Uh, essentially, he wants to come back to the CFL in 2024, did not play anywhere in 2023, has an online retail business that he was doing while focusing on his mental health, doing therapy, talking to people about how he was feeling, suffering from depression, suffering from anxiety. And I really wanted to highlight this because not only is I think the call I'm going to be good, but I also think that a player who is open to talking about these types of things, especially in a profession that, you know, is often very testosterone-y, beat your chesty. It's, I think, palpable. It's, it's valuable for a guy to come out and say, hey, look, I was not the best version of myself because of my mental health these past couple of years. I took some time to get better, and I'm excited to hit the ground running. Now, it's unclear if Simmons will be signed in 2024. I've been led to believe the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have expressed interest potentially as a replacement for Jackson Jeffcoat, who, of course, retired after playing opposite Willie Jefferson for many, many years in Bomberland. But uh, if, if you're listening to the show on Thursday or later, the column will be out on 3downation.com. Check it out. Uh, I think Antonio is a really interesting guy, and I was really uh, pleased that he was not only willing to talk to me, but was so candid about his life and his experiences when we had the opportunity to chat. Yeah, I certainly wish Antonio all the best. It's a topic that's very close to my heart as someone who has struggled with his mental health at, at various points in his life. Uh, and it's important to talk about, right? It's important to use your platform when you have it, like someone like Antonio Simmons does. And I hope that Teams will listen. Teams will provide support if they sign him so he can continue to maintain um, his mental health and, and continue to see a therapist because more people, frankly, should just in everyday life and in athletics. And we've seen CFL players in the past um, speak about this as well. Michael Riley is the one that always comes to mind and him talking about his struggles with anxiety and panic attacks. And when you're a hall of fame quarterback and you're being that frank about that, and you're still having the success that he did uh, while going through that, uh, I think it's truly an inspiration to other athletes. Um, so good on Antonio Simmons for, for speaking out about his mental health.
This goes along with a thought that I've had for a long time in the CFL, that there needs to be more mental training for on-field performance specifically. But I think that teams, just like every business around the world now, need to understand that to get the most out of their employees, and in this case, the high-powered athletes that are in the CFL, that they need to be in a great or at least stable mindset each and every day when they come into work. I think sometimes we look at these athletes as being different than your regular everyday person who has a nine to five job or goes about their business and quote the real world, but it's still work for them as well. Right. So I think that's why this article done by Mr. Hodge and just even talking about it by Antonio Simmons brings light to that fact that these guys aren't just robots. They're not just chess pieces on this big game of football that we all are so interested in and like to talk about, they have feelings as well. And full credit to Simmons for talking about it openly. Well, and we are guilty of it on this podcast, but I also think that the media at large is guilty of it just for ignorance. Uh, we sometimes talk about guys falling off or we talk about players, you know, not producing or whatever. And then in the years later, you find out, oh, well, this player was suffering from alcoholism. Or, oh, this player was suffering from a drug addiction. Or, oh, this player uh, ha had a mental health breakdown. And you all of a sudden go, oh, my God, I can't believe I, I said what I said about that player. Um, and again, if, if these things aren't out in the open and they generally take time to come out, it's impossible to talk about them at the time. And all we can do on this show or all anybody can do on their own talk shows, podcasts, in the reporting, whatever, analysis – you, you could just report on, on what you know, but it is sometimes sobering and I think really helpful just to be reminded that exactly as Dunk said, these are people too. We don't ever have every single piece of information when it comes to a release, to a trade, to a signing, to a retirement, whatever. And sometimes it's good to give players, clubs, whatever, the benefit of the doubt, because again, we just, we never know what somebody else is battling. It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1991, Bruce McNall, John Candy, and Wayne Gretzky purchased the Toronto Argonauts. The group invested a ton of money and promotion into the team during their first year of ownership, signing presumed first overall NFL draft pick Rocket Ishmael straight out of Notre Dame. They even won a great cup that season, winning it at, I think at the time it was still Winnipeg Stadium, and of course, Winnipeg. Things quickly went awry after that, however, as McNall was revealed as a fraud and Candy tragically died of a heart attack in 1994. The team was subsequently sold to the bat two months after Candy's passing in May of 1994. JC, you are too young of a pup to have remembered this happening. However, Justin, I trust you at least remember some of what transpired here with the Argos. I'd love your take. Definitely, man. I mean, I was young at the time in 1991. I would have been, I think it's five years old. But you remember the allure that this brought to the team in terms of attracting people. White Wayne Gretzky was the best hockey player on the planet in that area. And here he is, era, excuse me, man, I got to speak today, boys. And here he is getting a piece of the Toronto Argonauts in the CFL. And oh, by the way, they're bringing up an absolute superstar from the United States who's bypassing the NFL for the CFL. I'm like, guys, this wasn't that long ago, just over 30 years ago that this transpired. And it makes me think it would be amazing 
to get a celebrity in the mix. I know a lot of people talk about it out in BC. JC, you can talk to this a little bit with Ryan Reynolds there. You know, there's some people in Toronto that would like to see Drake at least in and around an Argonauts game, perhaps from time to time. He does have his OVO Fest that is actually just across the street during the summer from where the Argonauts play. But we haven't yet seen Drake visibly out and about at an Argos game. And there's other stars out here. Like I believe it was Dalton shown on Twitter. who was openly campaigning. Should we say to, I think that's a fair word for it to, yeah, to at least go on a date with the music star out in Calgary. I forget the young lady's name there, but it would just make the CFL feel even more sexy. If there was some kind of ownership or more involvement from celebrities throughout our country. I certainly think one of the great what ifs in CFL history is what if John Candy did not tragically pass at the age that he did uh, far too young. His star was still on the rise in Hollywood. He was one of the most recognizable actors in the world. And he loved the CFL like few others, certainly more so than almost any other celebrity. And as passionately, as many of the fans that we meet across the country, the stuff that he did to promote the Argos at that time, it still holds up today. It's still funny. It's still engaging. And he was unafraid to go into any room and start pumping the CFL's tires. He talked to Joe Montana and said, Hey Joe, you want to come up and play for the Argos? Like that is absurd. Right, You wouldn't even think of going up to Patrick Mahomes these days and saying, hey, why don't you come up and play for the Argos? But John Candy was that guy at the time who was willing to do that. If he had been the owner for longer, if he hadn't tragically passed away, you wonder what that team could be in that market today. For the record, the artist that Dalton uh, shown was, uh, the word we used was campaigning. I would almost use the word wooing is Tate McRae, a Calgary-based singer, and she is a true Canadian celebrity in that none of us know who she is. Um, (laughs) But, obviously, is having a burgeoning career, which is fabulous for her. I'm not suggesting that she's not famous, by the way. I'm just saying that is a... She's she's big on TikTok, and she's at the NHL All-Star Game. She's big with the NHL right now. Okay, that's good. I didn't know who she was. But I'm sure she doesn't know who I am, so I hope she's not too offended. <laughs> um, but regardless, I think the modern equivalent of this is, and we just talked about how marketing money in the CFL is technically limitless. We need Ryan Reynolds and Tate McRae to buy the BC Lions and then sign Caleb Williams. That's that's That would be the modern Ooh. equivalent. And um, it's technically doable. It could technically happen. Unlike in previous years with salary cap money and marketing money, was separate. So this could literally happen. Now, I don't think Amar Doman wants to give up the BC Lions, and they also just invested guaranteed money in Vernon Adams Jr. So maybe a better team would be like a team like Calgary, where Tate is from, and one could argue need to do ownership anyway. But I digress. So many intriguing possibilities. I don't know why people are talking about it. It might be the fact that it's like 0.0000001% chance of happening, but... It's definitely intriguing, and it happened before, fellas. So you're you you're you're saying there's a chance, Doc. <laughs> you're saying there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. There's always a chance. You got to see the positives and things, you know, fellas. Let's go to the three minute drill. 
the Ottawa Red Blacks have hired Alex Russell from the Toronto Argonauts, where he was the team's director of football operations. Is that a legit hire? Yes, I've gotten to know Alex at the CFL Combines, had plenty of good chats, really enjoy his company, and I also think he does a fabulous job. So I think it's a very shrewd hire for the Red Blacks. The BC Lions have signed two-time All-Star defensive back Siante Evans. How do you see him fitting into their lineup? He's got some flexibility, but right now I see him uh, sliding into the halfback spot that's going to be vacant for much of next season because TJ Lee is out with his Achilles injury, much as Keon Hatcher is. So I think Siante Evans is a perfect fit to play at the boundary half. The CFL has changed the date for a preseason game between the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Toronto Argonauts, moving it from June 1st to May 31st. With the game set to be played in Guelph, will you be there, Doc? There's a possibility, man, but I can't commit right now because there's some moving parts going on behind the scenes, so to be determined. The GoFundMe campaign, campaign excuse me, has been set up for former CFL and NFL fullback Mike Sellers, who has received nine heart treatments over the past six months, according to his wife. What do you remember about his playing career? Mike Sellers was like a man among boys playing in the CFL in 2002-2003. As a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, unstoppable with the Rock. I know opposing defenses must have hated seeing him come onto the game. And honestly, him and Charles Roberts might be the best running back tandem in CFL history. Unbelievable that the Bombers had those two guys in the lineup at the same time. All best to Sellers and his family. Hopefully he gets the treatment he needs, makes a full recovery, and lives a very long life. He's only 48, so hopefully he, he has lots of time left in him. UBC is holding an NFL Pro Day for top offensive line prospects Theo Benedict and Giovanni Manu on March 29th. Are you going to be in attendance? I'm certainly hoping to be, but I may have to elbow some NFL scouts out of the way just to get a, an eyeline on these two guys. I'm guessing, now you can't get any uh, confirmed attendance until this thing actually happens, but I'm guessing it's going to be very well attended, especially as far as Canadian Pro Days go, which typically only attract a few scouts up. But they've scheduled it really nicely the day after the University of Washington Pro Day. So everyone's going to be just down the road. And there is nothing else happening on the entire West Coast on the 29th. Everybody in the NFL has the chance to drive three hours up the road to Vancouver to check out these two guys who are both very intriguing to NFL teams. The city of Hamilton has declared February 21st to be Simone Lawrence Day. How are you celebrating, Dunk? I'm going down to Hamilton, and I'm getting in Snow Money Lawrence, and I drive around the city honking that horn, and if there happens to be some snow falling, I don't mind coming pushing it out of the way. Have you guys actually seen pictures of this thing? Yes, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It does look pretty sweet. One day, a man can dream to be named after a snowplow. Winnipeg has signed veteran offensive lineman Eric Lofton, could he be snow the team's... Plow, a snowplow to be named after you? Not a man can dream to be named after a snowplow. <laughs> That's what I meant. Isn't that why we came up with all the snowplow names? Because you want so, to be named after a so, snowplow? No, you want this. The snowplow is named after the person, not the other way around. No, I get it. But we were putting plow in random people's names. So wouldn't that mean you're named after a snowplow? 
Not really. It's named after you. You're not going to name your child Snowbogie Lawrence after the snowplow. Hey, 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 you have clearly not not met Ticats fans. You have not met Ticats fans. (laughs) Somebody is naming their child Snowmoney. I'm just surprised we got through that snowplow reference without anybody snickering or laughing (laughs) to the point of tears. All right. That's so funny. Snow takey, Mitchell. (laughs) An old timer. But yes, Lofton has gone to the peg. Could he be the team's replacement for Jamarcus Hardrick? He could, and it should be noted that Jermarcus Hardrick was very much a cast-off when the Bombers signed him in 2016, and then he became a perennial all-star and award-winning offensive lineman in the peg. Lofton could have a similar trajectory, though. It should be noted Lofton has already been with the Bombers once, and the Bombers let him go. So he's not coming in as a guy with a huge body of work as a starter. He did start a number of games for the Riders in 2023, um, interestingly, Jermarcus and JC had a great column on this said he felt guilty about leaving Winnipeg. I don't think he should feel guilty. I think he should be happy counting his money. One other thing I'll share from behind the scenes after free agency got underway on the 13th, the Riders had not announced his deal yet, but I texted Jermarcus just congratulating him on his amazing accomplishments and his new deal that was impending. And I said, you know, it was a real pleasure covering you in Winnipeg. And he replied, thanks for the message. Keep up the great work. And then he said, I won't be perfect in Sask, so don't kill me too much. Three Down Nation hates me. And then he threw a crying, laughing emoji. And I just want to say publicly, Jamarcus, Three Down loves you. Three Down has never hated you. I don't know where that came from, but apparently he's under the impression we hate him. Publicly, Jamarcus, we do not hate you. We love you. you got an infectious personality. He invented the Hardra cop. How could anybody hate Jamarcus Hardrick? Jeremy O'Day revealed that Chris Jones recommended A.J. Olette to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders back in 2019 while serving as a defensive assistant with the Cleveland Browns. Can you imagine if he'd ended up going to Regina from the get-go? Wow. I, I mean, if he had been in Regina right from the get-go, I think his status that he already has coming to that franchise, that Thor idea, the, the whole aesthetic would be even 10 times larger than it is right now if that was homegrown and determined by Ryder fans. This guy is going to be such a fantastic fit for that city and for that province's culture. I can't wait to see what he can do this coming year. A Guelph children's charity received $21,000 for a Kansas City Chiefs jersey signed by Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Would you play, pay that kind of money for a uniform signed by the world's most famous couple? I'm not a collectibles guy, so no, I wouldn't. And from what I heard, and I believe this is right, JC, that that thing had to be picked up personally. And I think the charity probably could have gotten even more money if they were willing to ship it out. But still, $21,000 is impressive considering the amounts that some of the other jerseys, like a Patrick Mahomes signed jersey, got in this auction that is for a good cause overall. Former CFL receiver Tyquan Underwood has been hired as the assistant receivers coach with the New England Patriots. Is he a fit there? I think he is. Underwood has climbed the coaching ladder very quickly in the United States since he retired from the CFL. Congratulations to him. He was most recently the receivers coach and passing game coordinator at the University of Pittsburgh with Canadian quarterback Christian Vayu. And honestly, boys, anybody who watched a New England Patriots game this past season knows their receivers need all the help they can get. So good for Tyquan Underwood. 
Hopefully, he can help get them on the right track because that whole passing game was a disaster. The Toronto Argonauts extended the contract of reigning CFL most outstanding offensive lineman Dijon Allen, paying him $210,000 in hard money in 2025. Is he worth that? He is absolutely worth that. He is currently the best tackle in the CFL and I think still has many more good years left in him. He was not making anywhere close to what he was worth last year. I'm glad to see him get paid. Nick Usher has signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats following a year spent between Montreal and BC. Could he help the Tiger Cats with their pass rush? There's a possibility there, but I was really surprised to see the Tiger Cats add Usher. I thought they might have gone after some of these other pass rushers that were on the open market before they got signed, like a Pete Robertson. Even it would have made sense, I thought, for them to pay up to get Jackson Jeffcoat to not retire. But I think Usher does have a history with Ed Hervey, and that's probably a big reason why he's in Hamilton with a chance to revive his career. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Donation Podcast. Please join us again next Wednesday for another episode. We'll see you then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.